So let's now turn to the text of our sermon this morning. So this morning we're going to look at the first letter of Peter, the first 12 verses of the first chapter. And this afternoon we're going to look at the second part of that chapter. So both these sermons are where we're all linked to each other. So again, I encourage everyone to come and join us this afternoon as well as we look at the second part of that um, chapter. But so for now, let us read through First James, sorry, First Peter, First Peter one, and I'll read the first twelve verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving, they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So I said this morning we're going to look at the first chapter, the first part of that chapter. And first of all, let's just briefly consider the author of this letter. So the author is Peter. I'm pretty sure we all know about Peter. In the Gospels we read about Peter, a man who had his ups and downs. At one time he was fully glorifying God's praising him, the other time he was not sure 
who this Lord Jesus is. And we see that in Matthew, Matthew 16, where it says, You are the Christ. But then only a few verses later, the Lord Jesus needs to warn him and say, Go away behind me, Satan. So Peter had his ups and downs. And isn't that true for all of us? That we have our ups and downs as we live our daily lives. Now we see in the book of Acts, we see Peter as a transformed man. He needed assurance from the Lord Jesus Christ. And before that, the Lord gave him that, telling him to feed his lambs. So Peter needed assurance and the Lord gave him that assurance. Because of that, he was then boldly proclaiming Christ. And that gives us great comfort. Though Peter was one who was a sinner and clearly in his life since, we are sinners as well. But God comes to us with his words and he gives us assurance. And that is what Peter wants to do in this letter and also in his second letter. He comes to us to give us assurance that we are, if we are in Christ, that we can be assured of that. So Peter is an apostle. He is one who has been called and sent by the Lord Jesus Christ. But also he is a servant. He is a sinner just like all of us. But he shows us in his letters what God has done for him and what God has done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. So hence Peter is very well suited to write this letter to us. Peter was a changed man. The Lord changed him. And we'll see that through Christ we have been changed as well. Now the theme of the first letter of Peter is very much the relationship between holiness and suffering. He writes to a group of people who went through a lot of sufferings. We in our own lives go through times of trials and times of sufferings as well. And Peter then wants to reassure them that these sufferings, they do not harm us. So we see in this letter, and we see that in verses 6 and 7 from the first chapter. It says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. But also, if you look a little further ahead in chapter 3, verses, from verses 8 all the way till the end of chapter 4, Peter speaks about suffering, suffering for, for Christ. We are, need to be prepared to suffer in our lives. But we know that it is through Christ. He suffered through his redemptive suffering. Believers may know, and they may come to know that their suffering in their lives, they do not harm us, but they serve for our edification. Peter wants to remind us that it is not our sinning, or it is our sinning that we should dread, not our suffering. Christ has died to redeem us from our sins. And his suffering on the cross has transformed our suffering into servants for our good. So hopefully as we go through this chapter, we'll see that if we suffer in this life, it is for our good. 
And I trust that you will come to that as well. So Peter writes to the elect exiles, a group of people who were in today modern Turkey or Asia Minor at that time. Now that area would have had a Jewish population. So these exiles, these elect exiles, that could be Jews who went into exile, or it could be Gentiles who have been converted. And the reason why it may be writing to Gentiles is if you look further in that chapter 1 verse 14, there Peter writes, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So that may indicate that he's writing to Gentiles. But either way, he writes to elect exiles. So we see that here the condition of the people that he writes to. They were elect and they were exiles. So first of all, they were exiles. They were strangers, scattered in the area where they lived. We could say they were sojourners. They did not belong to where they were. And this this could be the Jews who were scattered from their home country. They were living in an area that wasn't their home. And with that may have come great deals of challenges and sufferings. But also sojourners could mean that where they live is not their home. And in a way we are in the same way. We are sojourners on this earth. Our home is not this earth. Our home is in heaven. And we look forward to that day when Jesus will return. And because we know that, we are marked as different. These exiles that Peter writes to, they were different in the way where they lived. The Jews may be in a different country, or the Gentiles who have been converted. But their lives were marked by being different. They had a different purpose of life. They had faith and they lived in godliness. So they were different, marked to be different. And Peter writes to them as a caring pastor, loving the sheep. And we see that Peter cares for the sheep, as we see in 1 Peter 5. So the last chapter. He then writes to the elders, but he says to the elders, I exalt the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So Peter has a heart for those he writes to, that they will be assured. He wants to write to them about what Christ has done for him, what Christ has done for them, and what Christ is still doing for them. So these ones, they write to them, they are the elect. Now in the Old Testament, we see that the elect are the people of Israel. They were God's chosen people. Today it's the church that is God's chosen people. So Peter greets them in this letter as the elect exiles. But he greets us, he greets you as the elect And Peter calls them in a loving way, the elect, to give them the comfort that they need. Now we know, we must admit that election today is not seen always as very positive. And people have different views upon election. It causes all kinds of difficulties. But we should be realizing that all of us are rebellions. 
all of us deserve God's wrath. And we saw that in Deuteronomy 9 verse 6 a few weeks ago in our midweek meeting. Where Moses writes to the people of Israel and says, God has chosen you not because of what you have done. So we should never treat the election as it is because of me, of what God has done. We should all realize that we are rebellious, we are deserving God's wrath. But God has come to choose us. So the elect are the object of God's grace and mercy. So that should humble ourselves. And from that we can even see further three things from the elect. That Peter writes that they have been elected according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The God before the foundation of the world has chosen us to be the elect. And even that gift should never give us any reason for boasting. But be humble and thank God for his mercy. But also we see that is in the sanctification of the Spirit. So we now will come version as we've been setting apart for Christ. The Holy Spirit works in us and continues to sanctify us. So through the Holy Spirit we have been set apart. We have been sanctified. But the Holy Spirit continues to work in us in our regeneration. And then finally... For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. So we are elect, we are being saved for obedience to Jesus Christ. And that is a process that the Spirit works in us as the Spirit regenerates us. So we see here clearly that obedience is an inseparable fruit of faith. And for us, for those who have been saved, to obey Christ is a delightful thing to do. Is not a heavy burden upon us. So clearly see faith and obedience go hand in hand together. But also we are elect for sprinkling with his blood. And here we are reminded of that picture of the Passover in Exodus 24. When the people of Israel were sprinkled with the blood of the Passover lamb. Signifying Christ's death for us on the cross. So we, are be, we have been elected to be saved and to be forgiven by Christ's blood. And through his blood, indeed, we are forgiven. So we see here that salvation is needed. We have been saved for sprinkling with his blood. And we see here the necessity of Christ's death for our sins on the cross. It's only through Christ's blood that Indeed, we have been saved. So Peter reminds us here of the necessity of Christ's death on the cross. Which again, he will come back and back, time and time again, through this letter speaking about Christ's suffering, which ultimately suffered as he died for our sins on the cross. So here we see the Trinity at work in our salvation. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And hence here we behold that marvelous truth that our salvation has been planned by the Father, accomplished through the Son, and applied to us by the Holy Spirit. And that should give us a mighty assurance. Peter assured the Gentiles and the Jews of their salvation in Christ. 
And as Christians today, as we are God's people, we should be assured by that as well. And take great comfort. So if you are in Christ, and if you know Christ as your Savior, then God's electing will be a comfort to you. But it will always offend those who stand in pride before God. So if you confess your sins and love the Lord Jesus Christ, you can marvel at this wonder of God's initiative in your life, in my life, and for his redeeming grace. And I ask you, if this wonderful doctrine does not resonate with you, if you not, have not yet experienced God's grace in your life, then this can be yours if you come to Christ and if you come to seek him. Ask and he will give to you. So knowing this, then Peter gives us the blessing. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And that is not just a pious wish from Peter. But as we go through the letter, the whole letter is full of God's grace and mercy for us. So what God has done for us, what he has provided for us in Christ. We are blessed in the fullest, fullest measure. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And we see that in other letters as well. Paul again reminds us for that in Ephesians 1 verses 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we are blessed by God. And that gives Paul Peter the reason, us the reason then to follow in verses 3. Blessed be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we bless, we give praise to God in her return. And why? We see that in verses 3. Because we have been born again to a living hope. God has given new life to believers and he has guaranteed their future glory. Our relationship with God the Father has been restored through Christ. We are now children of God. We have been adopted into his family. And this amazing truth causes Peter to bless God the Father. It should cause Christians as well to say with Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And with this kind of a bit of an extended introduction, I would like to preach you God's word with this following theme. Blessings of being born again. And we'll see three areas. First of all, that we are born again in Christ. Secondly, we are born again to a living hope. And finally, we are born again. That will affect our lives today. So first of all, we are born again in Christ. And that is verses 3 to 5. Peter writes in verse 3, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. It is through Christ. God takes the initiative before the foundation of the world. So God is the author of our salvation. I think maybe two or three weeks ago, we looked at Titus 3. And again, we saw the same thing there. That is God's initiative. God has chosen us. And again, Peter here reminds us of that. But we are being born again. We see the need to be born again. In John 3, Jesus speaks to Nicodemus that he needs to be born again before he can see the kingdom of God or to enter into the kingdom of God. 
So we need to be born again. And that born again is the idea of a new life. We have been given a new life, adopted into God's family. So born again should give us a remarkable change in our lives. That we are now devoted to Christ, not living to the former ways of our lives. But we see here that it is God. He is the one that caused us to be born again. And it is through Christ, he has given us new life. And that is done through the costly offer of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we see in verse 19 of this chapter. We read there, But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The precious blood of Christ. We have been born again, bought with a hefty price. So through Christ's resurrection, And that gives us the assurance because Christ has been raised from the dead. Peter has seen him. Peter has been a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. He just did not die on the cross to be buried and then stay in the grave. No, he has been raised again. God, his Father, raised the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that, accepting the offer that Christ has given for our sins. So that's why the resurrection is so important for Christians. And why Paul writes so passionately about that in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 15. So we are united in Christ's resurrection. So only because Christ has been raised from the dead is there an inheritance for us. Christ who is our inheritance. Inheritance. Without Christ being raised, we are pitiful people. We are unsaved. Hence why we read here, we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is not only proof of the completion and acceptance of his sacrifice for our sins, But it also shows the sovereign power that God has to raise Jesus from the dead. And hence to save us from our sins and to preserve us. Now Christians can already enjoy the blessings that we have being Christ being raised from the dead. The blessing that we have received in this life right now. One just to quote from Westminster Shorter Catechism question 36. That it speaks about what the blessings we have in Christ's resurrection. And there's five things being mentioned. We have the assurance of God's love for us. We have peace of conscience. that is given to Christians. We have a joy in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in us. Give us inexpressible joy. We have increase of grace. God works us in us. The Holy Spirit works in us regenerates us more and more to live before Christ. And finally, the blessing or the benefits of perseverance to the end. The Holy Spirit will persevere us, will preserve us until the Lord is coming. So when we are saved, what are we saved to? Now this is great um, joy that we are to look forward to. We are saved to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. So here, Peter doesn't give us detail about what that inheritance actually is. But in 2 Peter 3, 
Second, letter, he describes a little bit more about what that inheritance is. So in 2 Peter 3 verse 13. But according to his promise, we are awaiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We are waiting for new heavens and new earth. Hence our home is not on earth here. We are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. But also that the Lord is our inheritance. We are awaiting his return. Awaiting having perfect fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter uses negative terms to describe our inheritance. Because it is not impossible to describe them in positive terms. Because they are so marvelous and so great. So he uses what they are not. They are imperishable, undefiled and unfading. So they are imperishable. They cannot die. They cannot be lost. They cannot be stolen. They are there for us. No one is going to take it away from us. No one can ruin it. It is undefiled. It is pure and pristine. Not spoiled by sin. It's not stained or corrupt in any way. I think Peter uses the negative here because how many things on life, on our daily life, is corrupt. We look forward to our inheritance, which is incorrupt, undefiled. And it's unfading. It will never diminish away. It will never be satisfying us. It will never um, disappoint us. So that is what Peter mentions to us that we can look forward to. But even further, he says that this is being guarded for you. By, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed. So this is kept in heaven for us. Kept in heaven for you. Jesus speaks about him going to heaven to prepare a place for us. We have that inheritance ready and waiting for us. It is certain in Christ. It is guaranteed for us in Christ. It is ready Right now, Paul also encourages us in a different way about this inheritance that is ready for us. Because it is God who gives us this. And God who works in us. We read in Philippians 1 verse 6. Am I ensured of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Because God starts to work in us and he will complete that. Jesus Christ has raised, been raised from the dead. Our inheritance is ready for us. It is protected for us by two elements that are inseparable together. Guarded by God's power and guarded through faith. And faith is the means in which God's power works in us for our salvation. Faith is God's gift to us. It is a saving grace that we receive and rest upon Christ alone for our salvation. Faith, if you have faith, it means you have knowledge and conviction that Christ has died for your sins on the, the cross. I only write to read a small portion from Heidelberg Catechism, question one, which is that great question where it speaks about What is your only comfort in life and death? Just want to quote a small part. He has fully paid for all my sins 
with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. Note, he has fully paid for all my sins. He has set me free. And that is the great comfort that Peter wants to bring to Christians, that he, that he wants to bring to you today, that we can take comfort from that. That inheritance is ready for us today. And that's how, that inheritance that we have, it will be revealed to us when Christ returns. So although salvation is not complete yet, we look forward to an even fuller salvation. Even today we can experience the blessings, as I mentioned previously, because we are in Christ and the Holy Spirit works in us. So I ask you, are you rejoicing and resting in God's work, God's saving work in your life? Are you with Peter, filled with thankfulness about the new life that you were given in Christ as a child of God and looking forward to his inheritance? If that is so, then I ask you to join Peter and join all of us in blessing the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But also we look further down. So we are, the blessings of being born again is that we are being born again to a living hope. And that is gives Peter here then the assurance for those Christians who go through some difficult times, who go through some sufferings. Here Peter comes with the main, the heart of his concern. He wants to assure the Christians. So scripture doesn't minimize suffering in our lives. Scripture fully acknowledges that suffering is present. But it's through Christ that because Christ suffered on our behalf, we can rejoice in our sufferings. And we see Peter here mention four things, four aspects of our sufferings as we are encountering them in our lives. Peter says that even in trials, so we will go through trials. But these are only for a short time. Not always and only if needed. So we see these trials as something that work for our good. Our hope points in Christ beyond these trials. These trials, they test the genuineness of our faith, of your faith. James also speaks about in a similar way. But it should strengthen our joy in Christ. Speaks here about the fire burning off all the impurities. In our lives, our sufferings, they should burn away our self-confidence. That we do not rely on ourselves, but it points us to Christ. It drives us to our Savior. And as we go through sufferings, we give praise to God. It shifts our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. God is glorified through our sufferings because it helps us to see that our hope is not in ourselves, but it points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Peter, he said, realizing that we have not seen the Lord Jesus Christ, so though you have not seen him, in verse 8, you love him. Though you have not seen him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. Now Peter has seen the Lord Jesus Christ. But even him, although seeing him, had gone through some ups and downs. So it's not the seeing of the Lord Jesus Christ that gives us uh, strength. It is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, knowing that he has given to us. And we look forward that at when Christ will return, we will see him. 
So we look to the outcome of our faith. The end of the journey of our salvation is full and perfect salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a general pattern in scripture. Sufferings and then glory. The Lord Jesus Christ, he had to suffer on the cross. But then he was glorified by his father. Christ suffered for us. He was glorified. We may suffer on this life, but we will be glorified as well. And I think for those who are not in Christ, what a stark contrast is that for those who are in Christ. If you are an unbeliever, you have left with a life with empty pursuits. A life without any purpose of suffering. But for those who are in Christ, so for Christians, we rest knowing that God works all things together for our good. So trust that you believe that. That even though you may go, go through some difficult times, if you are in Christ, these work for your good. And knowing that, knowing that we are born again to this living hope in our lives, finally, that affects how we live right now. And we see that in verses 10 till 12. I want to go very briefly through that just because of the time. But what we see there is that Christ is presented to us in scriptures. So the way we live right now, we do not focus on what we see right now. But we study God's word. We see in God's word that the Christ of glory is the Christ of suffering. That our salvation has been prepared for us throughout all scripture. Throughout scripture, as mentioned about, they've been carefully, they, so these prophet, the, the prophets, they searched about the grace that was to be yours and searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what personal time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Throughout all scripture, we see the prediction of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is a Savior coming for us. We see that just one example in Job, Job 19, verse 25, where Job writes, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. So throughout scripture, we see Christ being, um, the one being promised, the one that will come to die for our sins. And it gives us throughout scripture assurance that our salvation is absolutely true. We can rely on Christ and his salvation for us. So I urge you as you read through scripture. That you try to see Christ in the scriptures. Christ is everywhere as we read scripture. It points us to Christ's suffering. His glorification. And the glory for us to come. Just want to end up with reading a few verses from Luke 24. Where Jesus himself speaks about that he is presented to us in scripture. So Luke 24 from verse, um, so on the last passage where we have these two men who go to the village of Amaius. And then we read that Jesus speaks to them. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them. All the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus speaks to them that all throughout scripture, it speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to read verse 32. These two men, they said to each other, 
Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? So I ask you for yourself, when you read scripture, when you read God's word, is your heart burning inside you as you see Christ in the scriptures? And as you see that, throughout God's word, we see the full and perfect redemption plan. We now, we know Christ has died. We've got the full scripture. We've got the Old Testament. We've got the New Testament. We have seen that Christ has died for our sin. He has been raised. So I uh, ask you, is your heart burning inside when you read through God's scripture? And as we do so, that we focus ourselves not on our visible things that we see today, but that we have a spiritual vision looking forward to our inheritance when we will be with Christ. Let us pray together. Almighty Father, Lord, we pray that through your Spirit, you will help us and open up your word to us, so that our hope is indeed set of the Lord Jesus Christ, not in ourselves. That as we may go through some challenges in life, Lord, we will focus our minds on the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this therefore in his name. Amen.